Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you all. I would invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 8 here shortly. If you've been with us as we've studied the book of Acts, you've seen how beautiful it is, this beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. How after Jesus was um, ascended into heaven, his spirit came down and they proclaimed Jesus, death and resurrection with boldness, and many came to faith. The church was growing and expanding, and it's a beautiful, beautiful testimony of God's goodness and the fulfillment of his promise. And yet at the same time, the apostles faced some opposition, but nothing could stop the gospel from going out and spreading. God was clearly doing this work through these people to expand his kingdom among the Jews. But I think it's also important that we are careful not to make a mistake or a misunderstanding. You know, we might begin to think that Acts 1.8 and the fulfillment of it, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth that it might look like God's going to give victory in Jerusalem. And once that's accomplished, then we're going to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, one at a time, almost like dominoes just kind of falling in place. And yet, today's story, the, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ through Stephen, is going to be a testimony of, of one where there is strong opposition. In, in fact, his martyrdom as the first Christian martyr would put a question in the minds of Jesus' followers, is God going to be good to his promise? Stephen's death, actually, we will see in the weeks ahead, is just the beginning of how God was going to complete the fulfillment of his promise to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In fact, most of us here, I would dare say, are Gentiles. And therefore, we have this testimony of Stephen, by God's grace, as one of the reasons that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to today. The Bible actually tells us that all of us were created by God to be worshipers. But because of our sinful hearts, we desire to work, worship ourselves instead of God. And Stephen actually picks this theme up. He describes the Jews and their rejection of God in this way. And in this text, from verses six, or verse 8 of chapter 6 all the way through chapter 7, we're going to see how Stephen highlights how the Jews throughout all of history and even today in Stephen's time, how they preferred to worship themselves or to worship God on their own terms instead of according to God's terms. So be listening for that as we read, as Stephen highlights all of these ways that the Jews rejected God and his grace to them. And Stephen's death at the end of chapter 7 that we're going to finish reading 
is just another proof of Israel's long pattern of disobedience and outright rejection of God's ways. Normally, at this point, we would stand in honor of God's word, but I'm going to allow you guys to remain seated. We're actually going to read. It's going to be seven and a half minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and prep you for that. Um, the entirety of the text uh, that we're going to study today. And so I'm going to go ahead and get started, but we're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then he secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could not find food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had brought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there rose over Egypt, another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. 
At this time, Moses was born. He was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Verse 23. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving him salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt." This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. 
What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. This is the word of the Lord. So Luke, in verse 8 of chapter 6, describes Stephen. He's a man full of grace and power. Last week we saw Stephen was one of those who was doing the ministry of mercy. He was coming to help the apostles to take care of the widows. And yet here we see him as someone who is doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's obviously taking a teaching role in the synagogue where he engages these opponents of his. And he begins to attract a lot of attention because of his wisdom and being filled with the Spirit. This group of Jews who confronts him can't debate him. They try and they lose. And so maybe you're like me. When you lose, um, you don't go down lightly and you pick another fight, right? They actually take it to a whole nother level. They actually start accusing him falsely. They start to instigate others who can raise up against him. And they make this claim, a serious one, one that if Stephen is guilty, he would die for, blasphemy. They claim that he is guilty of blasphemy against Moses and God. Verse 13, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, the temple, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So these serious charges get elevated to being brought before the Sanhedrin, the high priest, the, the, the judge of the time. And so he's brought before Caiaphas. Most commentators mention that it seems like he would still be in charge. And just like the days of Jesus um, and the case brought against Jesus, the, the charges are the same. They're brought against Stephen in the same way. And Caiaphas says, are these things so, Stephen? What do you have to say for yourself? And so he goes in, not really his own defense. Not once does he try to defend himself. But he goes in and launches in into a, a historical recollection. He starts off by going all the way back to Abraham. His purpose in doing so is to build some solidarity with his accusers. He's basically saying, look, we have the same history. We have the same patriarchs. We have the same heroes. We have the same scriptures. 
And so he tells of the beginning where God chose Abraham. Not because of anything in Abraham, but because God wanted to show his mercy and to begin his plan to redeem a people for himself and to give them a land. But as we look at the remainder of Stephen's speech where he transitions from Abraham down to Joseph and then Moses, we're going to start to see that Stephen really starts to shift. He starts to veer away from his audience. And he actually takes their rejection of of Moses and the law and of the temple and flips it on his head. Because had they really understood what the Scriptures said and what God's plan was from the beginning, they would see that the temple and the law and Moses were all just pointing to the one who was going to come. That once for all would bring salvation and redemption. Forgiveness of sin where they would no longer have to bring sacrifices for sin. Jesus took care of sin and death once for all in his death and resurrection. And so he proves, Stephen does, that the Israelites have always and continue to oppose God and his purposes. And yet, in the face of this rejection of God and the rejection of the Messiah, God's purposes are still successful in building a people for himself, a nation of redeemed sinners, even to the end of the earth. So let's look. We're going to look at three things. One, Israel actually rejected Moses and the law. Stephen makes this case that they are the actual ones that think too little of Moses and the law. He he actually introduces Moses, and and the Sanhedrin would agree with him as the deliverer God raised up to bring them out of Egypt and to free them from slavery. It's a miracle that God had to do to bring them out of Egypt, that context of slavery. But when Moses first comes on the scene and he's interceding with a fellow Israelite who's being wrong, verse 25 of chapter 7, it says, Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. You and I can relate to that, can't we? Not understanding. Their response actually makes some sense. You know, I don't always understand how God is using circumstances in my life to draw him, draw me closer to him, or how he's going to use that and turn that to good. So I get it. And maybe you feel the same way. Maybe that's something that you're going through right now. But they weren't called to understand they were called to faith to trust God that was the only requirement and that's the only requirement of us but Moses again tries to reconcile in verse 27 someone who was wronging his neighbor and 
They thrust Moses aside, verse 27, and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? So despite the grumbling of God's people and their rejection of Moses, God still enters in. And he tells Moses in the burning bush that, I heard your groans, and I'm going to come to redeem you. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. Stephen emphasizes this repeated rejection by Moses and summarizes it in verse 39. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, to idols, to a golden calf. God had just delivered them. Friends, we are tempted to do the same thing in response to God's goodness to us. To make idols out of good gifts or to question God's goodness. What Stephen ultimately implies here is that they missed the point of Moses and the law altogether. Look at verse 37. Moses himself said, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is Moses prophesying of the one who would come once for all, Jesus. The root of Israel's evil was that they preferred an idol over God. They gathered significance for themselves, their lives, based on what they could achieve with their own hands. Look at verse 41. They were rejoicing in the works of their hands rather than what God had offered them. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the better Moses. The gospel of Jesus Christ means that the sacrificial system is no more. That the ceremonial law is no more. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Israel rejected Moses and the law, not Stephen. Second, Israel rejected God's righteous one. There's this conversation that goes on about the temple the tabernacle and the temple, and this is their accusation against Stephen that they were blaspheming God. But what Stephen goes on to do is really challenge the whole notion of the temple. What is the purpose? It's clear that in the Isaiah quote of chapter 66 that God cannot be contained in a building made by hands. He is over everything. So Stephen's not saying it was wrong to construct this, but you've elevated the temple into an idol. You care more about the temple than you do about God and his plan and ultimately what Jesus came to do. Mark 14, 58 says, Jesus being quoted here, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another made without hands. God can't be limited by anybody's man-made temple. Jesus is the one who replaces the temple once for all. 
Jesus died, when he died, you remember the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus is now the one and only high priest. Jesus is the one whose sacrifice once for all and shed blood pays for sin and purchases redemption. Jesus is the mercy seat and the display of God's glory. That no longer resides in the temple. That's Stephen's case against the Sanhedrin. The nation had all along resisted God's plan. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. And they're doing so now as Stephen is proclaiming Jesus Christ. Finally, Israel rejected God's witness. Stephen himself. So Stephen doesn't defend himself. He brings his own accusations that they missed the whole point of Moses and the law and the temple, which was pointing to Jesus, the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. So how did they respond? Look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen was rejected. His murder, and even his response. All of this reflects and models what we saw in Jesus, his Lord and Savior. This man, full of the Spirit and wisdom, grace and power, responds to his rejection with forgiveness. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It makes me think of the prophecy in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant. Stephen's response of forgiveness is only empowered by his belief in a Savior. Listen to Isaiah 53, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you too can respond 
to rejection with forgiveness. I do think this text warrants a warning, though, both for believers in examining your heart and seeing who or what you are trusting in. Where are your idols? What are the things that you are likely to lean into and trust instead of God? But also for those who don't believe in Jesus. Friends, you, just like me, have rejected Jesus. You, just like me, have been selfish and sinful and wanted to go our own way. Friend, you, just like me, deserves the punishment for my sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. God had a plan from the beginning, and he offers it to you if you would believe by faith. Turn from yourself and look to Jesus. He will not turn anyone away. You haven't done anything too bad that he would not receive you. Come to Jesus and be forgiven and have life. And Christian, maybe you're thinking, what if I get rejected? I think it's a fair question. In fact, based on Acts 6 and 7, and I think the whole counsel of God's Word, it's true. You might get rejected. Jesus told us that if we are to follow Him, we should expect similar treatment to what He actually received. And yet, friends, hear the promise of Jesus. Blessed are you. Blessed. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, be encouraged. You can trust Jesus just like Stephen. And if you trust him, then you will also have the power to forgive. Even when rejection comes. You don't have to bow up and fight it. It's not your battle to win or lose. The Lord will continue to work out his purposes and his plan to redeem a people for himself. In the face of rejection, God will not be thwarted. Friend, be encouraged. When you face rejection and even your own death, let's look together to Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our only hope in life and in death is what you have offered to us in Jesus Christ. I pray that we would turn to Jesus, that we would see him for who he really is, the author and perfecter of our faith, perfect, sinless, who died a death we deserve to die, who rose from the dead victorious over sin and death, and now is seated at your right hand. 
bringing everything into submission. Lord, help us to rest in that and not in idols that we create for ourselves. Help us to rest in Jesus. Help us to point each other to Jesus and to find rest and peace and hope until you come again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.